Welcome to Sonata Secrets with Henrik Chilham, unlocking the world of classical music. Chopin's fantasy impromptu is possibly the most known of all his works. And it's ironic that it wasn't even published during his lifetime. I mean, it's such a good piece, it fits so well under the fingers. It's like the perfect marriage of virtuosity and elegance. And it has a beautiful lyrical cantabile middle section with all the sweetness but none of the melancholy of the nocturne. It eventually got published in 1855, six years after Chopin's death, by his friend Julian Fontana. Despite Chopin wishing on his deathbed that all the unpublished manuscripts lying around should be burnt. It has some interesting similarities with Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata. They're both in C-sharp minor with fast 16th notes and agitato markings. And Chopin basically stole a note pattern from the cadenza in the Moonlight movement to use in the Fantasy Impromptu. This is how Beethoven uses it in the cadenza. This is what Chopin does with it in the Fantasy Impromptu. The musicologist Ernst Oster writes that Chopin understood Beethoven to a degree that no one else has ever understood him. The Fantasy Impromptu is perhaps the only instance where one genius discloses to us, if only by means of a composition of his own, what he actually hears in the work of another genius. In 1960, the pianist Arthur Rubinstein acquired a manuscript to the Fantasy Impromptu with a heading composed for Madame la Baronne d'Est. And that probably means that Chopin received a commission for writing it specifically to the Madame, and that's why it wasn't published. And the Rubinstein version is actually quite different than the earlier Fontana version. So you get to decide which one to play. And I'm actually sticking with the early version, because I like how some of the left-hand movement feels slightly more natural and uncomplicated. But since there are two versions, you can basically choose whichever one you like best. And in a way, it's also just details that differ. The underlying musical material and character is exactly the same. So the Fontana version is based on some early copies or drafts. And Fontana himself did some quite heavy editing, adding dynamic markings and more. And they have found out that in re modern times, and removed it from recent Urtext editions. And it was actually Julian Fontana who added the fantasy before the impromptu in the title. The two words means basically the same thing, a piece in a freer form and an improvisational character, like it's being created while it's being performed. This octave is just signaling that the piece is starting and then the left hand starts by itself to set up the expectation of what the right hand is going to play. It's very common to do like a small accelerando, start slightly slower and then speed up, pick up the speed. So the signature feature of this piece is this polyrhythm of three against four. The right hand plays four notes and the left hand plays three notes 
in the same time. I was maybe 14 years old when I learned this piece the first time and I really struggled with these rhythms to separate the hands doing different things at the same time. And after a long time I could do it. I think the trick is to make the hands play the notes independently of the brain. So you just play the notes and then they get together on the beat. So right hand plays four notes. And left hand plays three notes. And then... It's much easier said than done, of course, and it takes a lot of practice, but in the end it's possible to do. And when you get it together, it's such a joy to play, because it's actually pretty well written for the hands, because it's in C-sharp minor, and it's four sharps, so the long fingers pl can play on the black keys, and the thumb can play on the white keys, so... I can keep my hand in this position. Uh, it's really written for the hand for the piano by Chopin. So now we get these initial runs and then we take a new turn with this A sharp. up on this episode somewhere between G sharp minor and E major. Uh, this lovely kind of romantic gesture. Suspensions of course. Now this accent that I play on the top note they're one of those things that I think Fontana added in his edition in the early time. So they're just a suggestion, it's not Chopin's choice, but I like them, so I play them. I think it's a nice variation because we get the same thing two times. So the second time I go down in dynamic and I play the melody on top. here and then I play the melody on the low note again in the end and then we get back to the initial runs and here we go somewhere new again now we're getting to the close of the section concerto style ending these really nice and here is one of those places where it's different between the versions first of all where this tension chord comes or and an extra one down there it's actually a German six chord with an inverted voicing and also these octaves in the left hand, it's a C-sharp minor chord, but which note they start on is different. It's either 
different note than the right hand or it's the same note as the right hand. As I said it doesn't really matter because the character is exactly the same and here starts now the middle section uh, we come down and again the left hand plays solo the accompaniment and now we're in D flat major which is a switch from C sharp minor to C-sharp major, it's just an easier way to spell C-sharp major in D-flat instead. The structure of this is quite repetitive so we just heard the theme the lovely theme and then we get it two times and then we get a small episode and then the theme again and the episode again and the theme again so we get the theme actually four times so you need to find some way to play it with variation so I play the first time soft and then I go forward a bit the second and third time and then the fourth time I play soft again so the second time A bit more assertive especially this place so the first time I play so really exciting chord uh, but in a lower dynamic level and then the second time it's not new the second time we've heard it so I move forward instead and now we get a small episode but it's just four bars long but it's a nice uh, addition here There's also big differences between the versions, like how the left hand is and also where this top note comes. And the theme again now. a bit of counterpoint uh, the left hand bass has a kind of a counter voice here now the episode again you can 
do some rubato here, you know, stretch time. A long time. And getting back. And now I play it soft the last time. an echo and then we get the first section uh, repeated and it just grows out of this uh, the melody is coming to a halt and then it's just start to stir and we get back to the storminess Coda. So now we're closing the piece with some new material uh, and it's really fun to, to play hammering out these chords because we have a C-sharp pedal point, C-sharp in the bass all the time and we're just playing C-sharp minor and G-sharp major cadencing chords. Looping this over and over. This is yet another difference between the version in the left hand if it's eighth notes or triplets. Uh, I kind of like the slight change in texture to play the eighth notes. And then... sunrise moment it turns to major and we get an echo of the middle section in the deep bass uh, slower and it's such a nice feeling major chord calm chords in major and this turning to major feature is called a Picardy third when you have a piece in minor that's ending in major and it happens like all the time in Bach's preludes and fugues if they're in minor they usually end in major uh, and it's the same way here in Chopin Picardy third
Thank you for listening to Sonata Secrets. Check out my premium subscription model at Patreon at patreon.com slash sonatasecrets.